Welcome back to another episode of the SarahCast, Conversations in Social-Emotional Learning. It's November. Yep, November, 11 months through 2020. Eight months since our world shut down. Really, we are here. How are you doing? I mean, you don't have to say good or okay. How are you doing? How is your mental health? How are you feeling emotionally? How are your relationships? At Move This World, we are constantly reminding each other that we cannot pour from an empty cup. We have to put on our own oxygen mask first prior to taking care of others. Self-care needs to be ongoing, built into micro moments of every day. Too often, we wait for the weekend or a school holiday to care for ourselves instead of sustaining this care for ourselves throughout the school year. Personally, I talk about this ongoing pause and reflection and care as the power of pause. But truly, honestly, how are you doing? How are you doing at work? How are you doing at home with your family? We'd love to hear how you're doing. This year has not been easy. So please let us know on Instagram at move underscore this world. As educators, you are responsible for so much. Are you making time to care for your own well-being? What does this time for you look like? Do you give yourself an hour each weekend, five minutes every evening? Let's be honest with ourselves and others about the time we actually build into our days to care for ourselves. Because we need it. We all do. Personally, when I haven't written my Artist's Way morning pages a few days in a row and I fall off of my morning writing meditation, you can see it in how I show up, or don't rather, for the people in my life. Not the best version of myself when I'm not taking care of myself. In today's episode, I speak with Dina Nunziato, the Director of Counseling and Psychological Services at the Health and Wellness Center at Sarah Lawrence College. She recently created an online course called Managing Stress and Developing Teacher Self-Care Through Mindfulness. We talk about a mind-body approach to supporting wellness, something that's personally so important to me as a dancer, how to recognize signs of stress that need immediate attention, and ways that teachers can support their well-being year-round, small strategies that have a big impact on our health. Self-care is so much more than bubble baths and face masks. Mindfulness is more practical than dedicating an hour each day to meditation, though that would be a dream. It's these micro moments, this power of pause that sustains us. I'm excited for you to discover simple, tangible ways that you can incorporate more self-care and mindfulness into your daily life so that you can continue doing the very important work that you do. All right, today I am here with Dina Nunciato, the Director of Counseling and Psychological Services at Sarah Lawrence College. Dina, thank you so much for joining this conversation. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your journey within education? Sure, absolutely, and it's so nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I have been involved in mental health and education for most of my professional life. I was um, actually an English major undergrad and then went and got my degree in clinical social work at NYU many, many years ago, um, actually probably over 30 years ago at this point, um, was really operating in the mental health space for a long time uh, as an independent practitioner. And then in the early mid nineties, actually became affiliated with Sarah Lawrence College. I was working at that time, my focus and my specialty was working with women, women's issues, body image issues, eating disorders, that space. And so I came to Sarah Lawrence really working with them from that perspective, worked a lot with their um, student affairs office, worked a lot with their 
athletes, their student athletes, a lot of their female athletes, did some work around the female athlete triad. Um, and then over the years, so that was 94, over the years became more and more involved with Sarah Lawrence and in 2001 joined the staff of the Health and Wellness Center or joined the staff of what is now the Health and Wellness Center, right? It's It's been growing and expanding um, over the years. So that was in 2001. And um, at that point, held many different roles. I was the director of education and training for a while. I was the assistant director. And then in 2009, became the director of counseling and psychological services here. So I've done that for a while. And as you might imagine, working in a college, you become very involved in not just the mental health piece, but really how the, 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 the intersection between education and, in my case, higher education and mental health. Um, I can keep going if you want. I can keep giving you more background. <laughs> no, I, I no, just this is going. great. This is great. And we'll, we'll continue to kind of peel back uh, more as we talk further. So uh, given your focus in mindfulness, um, let's take a moment to center ourselves and ground ourselves before we dig deeper into this discussion. So um, for our listeners, if you're able to close your eyes, close your eyes. Um, if not, you can just look down to the ground beneath you and pay attention to your breath. Noticing each inhale and each exhale. And we're actually recording in New York City and there's construction going on right outside conveniently when we're trying to pay attention to silence and breath. So we'll use that as an invitation to be challenged in our practice and ignore that construction for now and that drilling so that we can be focused on the here and the now. And as we breathe, let's find our hands and move them up toward our hearts and place our hands on our hearts as we breathe. Noticing our heartbeat slowing down. And let's take three breaths together with our hands still on our hearts, paying attention to the pace of our heartbeat as it slows. Breathe in and breathe out. Second breath in and out. Third and final breath in and out. When you're ready, we'll open our eyes. I think the universe knew that we were having a discussion specifically on mindfulness and breath work and stress reduction and said, we're going to plop a construction um, site right outside your door for today's conversation. So I'm excited for the challenge. Here we go. So, um, Dina, tell us what brought you specifically into the mental health and wellness space? Sure. Um, well, I think a lot of it was my own personal journey through college and post-college life, which for many students is a, is a challenging time. It's an enormous transition. So, you know, for those of us that can remember that time in our lives, it's going to be enormous transition with a lot of challenges. And I certainly was not immune to those. Um, actually, I, I did come to New York soon after I graduated from college and entered into my own psychotherapy, which was um, amazing and illuminating and different, uh, different. You know, my background is not one. I didn't come from a family that was heavily into mental health. I very much came from a, a Italian Catholic uh, bootstraps Brooklyn family. And um, so this was different. 
And so doing this was a, was a little bit of a, it was my own form of rebellion, if you can imagine. So, <laughs> so getting into therapy was my own rebellion. <laughs> uh, but, but actually, and I remember very, very clearly uh, after I'd been doing my own therapy for, I don't know, six months, maybe a year, having a conversation with my father and him saying, you know, you sound really good. And I was saying, you know, dad, I think a lot of it has to do with therapy. And he said, I might have to see about getting some of that. Wow. (laughs) It was quite the moment. Yeah. So, you know, so then I I actually, um, I did did go back. I I got a graduate degree and and I continued sort of a little bit of what I was saying before with, um, I worked in numerous different hospitals and clinics and then really started to get into more of the educational space. Now, you just released a virtual course, Managing Stress and Developing Teacher Self-Care Through Mindfulness. Where did this idea come from and why now? Yeah, thank you so much for asking about that. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background. So we we here at the Health and Wellness Center at Sarah Lawrence have been working with mindfulness for a number of years now. I want to say going back probably probably as many as 10 years, we got very interested in a type of therapy called dialectical behavioral therapy for our students. And you don't really need to know what that is, but it, it a number of the components of dialectical behavioral therapy include distress management, distress tolerance, um, interpersonal effectiveness, and um, mindfulness. And so we got very interested in mindfulness. And as we became more and more interested in mindfulness and mindfulness as a practice, we realized that we needed it for our own selves. And so as a health and wellness center, so both the mental health clinicians as well as the medical clinicians, because we are an integrated model, we have medical clinicians as well as mental health clinicians, we started practicing mindfulness. And so we started practicing mindfulness every week. We carve out a half an hour every week for mindfulness. And I will tell you a, tell you a short little sort of story about that. Um, we carve out time on Fridays and we come together again as a health and wellness staff. Every Friday, we would talk about students of concern. Okay. As you might imagine, uh, we, we would do. Um, we, what we were finding was that we had our students of concern meeting first, and then we would have our mindfulness meeting that would lead up to our lunchtime. We were spending so much time talking about our students. And so very, very quickly, the students of concern meeting was impinging on our mindfulness time. And then we had no time. And so what we quickly learned to do was that we flipped it. And so now we do mindfulness first. Nice. (laughs) We do mindfulness first, which actually puts us in, I think, a very um, sort of positive and calmer mindset to then talk about our students Mm -hmm. of concern. So that's just a little bit of an an anecdote to, because I do think it's very important. You need to carve out time. You need to carve out time because unfortunately self-care so quickly falls to the bottom of all of our lists. And so, and I think especially when you're in any kind of a caring profession, whether it's mental health or medical or teaching, any type of a profession where you're committed and devoted to other people, mm-hmm. self-care can drop so far down. So, or as a, as a parent. As a parent. <laughs> oh my goodness. As a parent. Absolutely. As a parent. Yes. And I as, know as you a parent have in a one. pandemic. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. Um, as a parent in a pandemic and exactly. And now we're doing so much via Zoom and so much via screens. So um, thank you also for, for giving people a, spring, a screen break. You know, I, I think that this is important. I think that that's, that's one really lovely benefit of this is a, is a screen break. But, um, but, but just to answer your question about how I got into this, I started to get very, very involved and very interested in mindfulness as a way to address anxiety. Um, we're seeing skyrocketing numbers of anxiety, students reporting anxiety, and really, really the anxiety levels impinging and interfering with their ability to feel successful at school. And so we got very involved in offering mindfulness courses and positive psychology courses for our students. And because I operate um, at more of an administrative level here, I became very aware that our faculty needed this as well, right? And I think you and I have even talked a little bit about how so often the focus is our students right? Our students, our students, and as it should be, and we're, we're devoted to our clients and our students and, and our children, right? But, but really in order to do a good job, we need to also, we need to tend to the caregivers, 
And sure. so that was the background for what I've recently come up with um, is this four session course on really how caregivers, whether they be educators or mental health professionals or medical professionals can really spend some time focusing in on themselves. Mm. So that was the impetus. And what's been the response? What are you seeing? Um, it's been really lovely. Yeah, it's been really lovely. Um, so, so one of my other big interests is mindfulness, not only mindfulness as practiced individually, but mindfulness as practiced as part of a group. And mm-hmm. I'm actually in the middle of writing a dissertation on some research that I've done in the last couple of years around mindfulness groups as communities of practice. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a there's a, a, a Buddhist notion of Sangha, which is a sort of a community of practice where this community supports the individual and the individual supports the community. That's again, this is a lovely idea. And I've been wonderfully, wonderfully sort of um, surprised to see that. So I've so I've done this in person. And you can imagine that when you do it in person and I usually limit it to about eight or 10 participants at a time. There is a community that develops among um, the practitioners in this in this group. The lovely surprise that I had, because I really didn't know how this was going to work, I was scheduled to do one of my four session workshops, and then the pandemic hit. And so I was scheduled to do it in the spring, and then the pandemic hit. And I said, "Let's go for it." You know, let's let's do it via Zoom Health. It's a you know encrypted HIPAA compliant Zoom, and we did it. And I was so gratified to actually watch a community form, a community mm-hmm. of, this happened to be educators, um, elementary education teachers who did not know one another previously. And the mm-hmm. degree to which over the, so it's two hours um, over four sessions, so it's, about, it's an eight hour, the degree to which they became a community of, and just the generosity and the the care with which they approached one another and took with one another. It was, it was so remarkable. Sarah, you can hear me. It's why I love the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's why it's really, it's really the foundation of everything. You know, if we can feel supported in ourselves, if we can support others, Absolutely. Then, we can do then the sky's the limit in terms of what the, the challenges that we can tackle. But if we don't have that foundation, it's really hard yeah. to move forward and to do anything else. Um, yeah. What if you were to say one thing that teachers can do to support their well-being and manage stress right now, especially all of the heightened stress that teachers are experiencing, what would be that one piece of advice that you would offer? Okay, so one of the things that I really hone in on in, in the course, in the workshop that I offer is the idea of understanding how your body communicates and reacts to the stress response, right? Mm. So we've all heard of the stress response, fight or flight or fight, flight or freeze. I think it's very, very important to know your own body's signals because the signals that my body sends to me when I'm stressed are not necessarily the same signals that your body sends to you when you're stressed, right? I mean, we can talk about them in general, but there are physical, right? There are physical cues, there are emotional cues, there are behavioral cues, there's cognitive cues. You need to really sort of understand your own stress response and then you need to pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. And then, and again, this is something I do in the course is really talk about how Luckily, our bodies have not just a sympathetic nervous system, but a parasympathetic nervous system that can balance one another. So it is about once you notice, once you notice that your body has gone into a stress response, which I think mm-hmm. for most of us is like right now, right? But the point is not to stay in this chronic stress space, but mm-hmm. to but to really start to elicit a relaxation response where you bring on the parasympathetic nervous system and really start to balance it. And not one, again, one of the things I talk a lot about is we can't wait until that annual vacation, right? That annual two week vacation. I think I I would argue we can't even necessarily wait for a weekend. We need to, I argue for sort of micro recoveries all day long so that you're not ratcheting up, but then Mm -hmm. all day long, 
you're sort of trying to keep yourself in balance and trying to keep yourself in what I would call sort of a healthy stress place, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're operating, maybe you're operating at full capacity or close to full capacity, right? You're challenged, you're engaged, but you're not tipping over into that red zone. And if you mm -hmm. do feel yourself tipping over into that red zone, what are your stress relievers? What, what brings, what, what for you elicits the relaxation response? And okay. So that was like not one tip, but I guess the idea would be really, really take a moment. And I think this is part of what mindfulness helps us do is take a moment to pause, take a moment to really tune in, take a moment to reset. That. I, I love this conversation. I could talk to you about this all day because the way you called it, um, micro, micro recovery, uh, right? Micro recovery. I love that. I, I call it micro moments. Okay. Perfect. Micro, no, but I think micro recovery is, is more specific for this topic, but this idea of, you know, not waiting till the weekend or not waiting till the vacation. And how do we do this? How do we constantly recalibrate? Exactly. Because stress doesn't just exist nine to six, Monday through Friday, you know, it, it's kind of always there. And there are all of these components of our lives that right. are stressful. Right. So, um, I, I guess my first question to you is, can you give an example of what a micro recovery moment might be? What is something that I could do if I'm an educator and I need a micro recovery? Okay. Moment? What can I do? Yeah. So it's a great question. So I think ideally, ideally we should have multiple options for micro recovery, because if you're an educator and you're in a classroom and you actually can't leave your classroom in that right. moment, right? I'm not going to suggest that you take 10 minutes and go have a cup of tea, which may be right. what, what I'm able to do, right? Like mm -hmm. I am forever, ever, ever with my tea always. Uh -huh. So, um, but having said that, I think that, you know, so you started us off with some breath work. So I do, I lead a lot of mindfulness for faculty and staff. I'm actually doing them twice a week now because we have decided that in this particular moment in time, <laughs> once a week is not enough. <laughs> so we're doing them twice a week. Um, what I, what I like talking about, and I'm sure you've talked to everyone about that you work with is really using the breath and using the breath as an anchor. Right. Mm -hmm. And so whether it is, and how quickly we can use the breath to calm ourselves and center ourselves. And I would actually even offer, and I'm, I'm sort of imagining a, a teacher, an elementary teacher in a classroom with children. I think children respond beautifully to mm -hmm. this. And I think they respond beautifully to breath work. I think they respond beautifully to even a, um, a quick body scan or a progressive muscle relaxation. So I would say that if you're, if you're in a classroom and you can't leave, right, you don't, if you, if you can leave and you have an aide or you have a co-teacher or, or your kids are going to special or something, I think that certainly to allow yourself, if you could even carve out 10 minutes just to do some breath work. And if you, if you prefer breath work, that's guided, you can YouTube and I, and I have them on my the slides that I show, there are so many YouTubes that are five minute or three minute and the, the profound effect that you can elicit in your body after three or five minutes of just slow breath work. Um, if, if you can, I would also, if you have 10 minutes, if you can get outside, if you can get some fresh air, if you can take a walk around the school, right? wherever you are. And I know we're stuck in COVID world right now, right? So teachers aren't even necessarily in, but in the school, but if you can walk outside, if you can experience some fresh air, if you need, um, so movement, I think can be very, very important for some people, for other people, it's, it's stillness and breath work. Some people respond beautifully to uh, visualization, Right. I've had I've worked with some people who have said, you know, the, the, the visual imagery is very powerful for them. I've had other people say that doesn't work as well for me as a body scan. So I think some of it's also about figuring out what works for you. What works for you and your personal preferences. Yeah. You, talk, you talked about understanding what's happening in our own bodies. Mm -hmm. And as a dancer, I feel mm -hmm. very connected mm -hmm. to my body. Mm -hmm. I know where I'm carrying stress. I know when I need to release it. Mm -hmm. 
for folks who may not be as embodied mm-hmm. or inclined to understand their own bodies or what their own bodies need. Right. Can you give an example when you talk about being super stressed, what might, what should we be paying attention to or what should we be looking for in terms of uh, warning signs in our own bodies when sure. we're feeling stressed? So that's a great question. And people carry, people carry their stress differently, right? I, I would, I would say that one of the really um, maybe helpful ways to do this is actually to do a body scan exercise where it, a body scan typically takes you either head to feet or feet to head and really guides you through each area of your body, asking you to sort of pay some attention to as you breathe, what feels tight, right? What feels tight or what feels painful or what feels like it's, it's, it's some discomfort, right? Cause so many of us don't often tune into our bodies in that way. We're sort of these disembodied heads, you know, we kind of walk around so much in our heads. Um, so I would say that doing a body scan can actually help you tune in. I certainly, this may feel obvious, but certainly the shoulders and the neck, right, are places where many people hold their tension. Other people hold their tension in their abdomen, in their stomach, in their gut. Some people hold it in their hips, right? Other people just have sort of these chronic I don't, they can be chronic injuries or they can just be sort of chronic locations in their bodies where their stress goes. I get headaches. I mean, that's part, my shoulders become like these rocks and, and the tension just shoots up. And, and I know that if I can, what I actually do, and this may sound a little much, but what I actually do is try to breathe into that area of my body. So there's a really nice mindfulness that I did actually last week that's called breathing the body and you actually focus on breathing in through different areas of your body and really taking the breath in through that area of the body and then releasing breath through that area of the body it's very powerful I don't know how else to explain it it's very powerful that's a a great example that's a great example why do you think the mind-body connection is so critical when talking about managing stress and promoting wellness Okay. So this is what I could talk about forever and ever. So (laughs) I'm I'm really sort of all about our mind body connection. And part of the, part of the research that I've done and part of what I'm writing up right now is all about this sort of idea of embodiment and, um, and, and actually mindfulness as an embodied practice. Right. So I, I don't think there's a separation Sarah, I just don't. I don't think there's a separation. I, I feel like I, I live that and I work that. And, you know, we exist here because I'm here in my office at Sarah Lawrence. We exist here in a small house and we have our health and wellness is, is the entire house. We have our medical staff on the first floor. We have our health and counseling services on the second and third floor where we have a shared medical record. I'm, I'm sort of giving you this example because I don't I actually don't think there's any separating. And I think there's so many, um, there's so many wonderful sort of studies out there that, that show the direct linkage between what we're experiencing in our mind and what we're experiencing in our body. And even our, I'm not going to get into it and I'm not a scientist in this way, but you know, the vagus nerve and sort of what, what connects our, our gut and our brain. And, and there's so much that's directly connected. So I think I, I really could spend a lot of time on this, but, um, but I think, I think we're all, the, the good news also is I think we're in that place, um, sort of in our world where people really are accepting the mind body connection. I really do. Mm-hmm. I think that prior to the pandemic, this was something that could be pushed aside mm-hmm. that, Oh, okay. Mindfulness. I know for, in my family, mm-hmm. um, my husband for many years, kind of put my mindfulness and meditation practice aside and said, Oh, that's my wife. She's kind of crunchy and a hippie. That's kumbaya. She does her weekly group sit and that's what she does, but that's not for me. And it wasn't until he hit a crossroads in his career where he had a very high stress job at a very fast growing company where he knew he needed tools. He needed something that could support him so that he didn't bring that level of stress into his home, into our home. And that's when he discovered mindfulness. And I think oftentimes we need some kind of life mm-hmm. crossroads and the pandemic is a collective reckoning yeah. with it. We, what we're doing to support our stress 
and wellness isn't enough and we need to explore ways that we can support our whole right. selves. I think that's right. I think that, um, I think it's an excellent point about the pandemic. I think, and I also think that different people can practice mindfulness differently. And I think for some people, their, their mindfulness could actually be going for a run, but being in a very, in a very mindful space while they're engaged in their body and running in that way. Right. Like I think that, um, I think depending on who you are as an individual, you can, you can run and exercise and work out and not do it mindfully. Right. But you can also do it in a way where you are being very intentional and very mindful about Mm -hmm. what's happening and what's happening in your body and, and very Mm -hmm. tuned in. So I think, I think that, and as you mentioned your husband, I was actually sort of thinking about my family and um, my husband is more, he's, he's just very active. He's not going to sit in a meditative space. He's just not. Um, and you know him and he will, but he will, he will run and be in a meditative space. And he is, he's very tuned into himself, right. And very tuned into sort of what he needs. And, um, and I would argue probably has multiple micro recoveries throughout the day. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I did also, I, I wanted to share and with apologies to my children who, did not give me permission to do this. I'm going to tell you. So, so I have um, a 26 year old and a 24 year old and they both live in Brooklyn. All right. And um, for those of your listeners who don't know, Brooklyn was a really, really difficult place early on in the pandemic. And um, my children, both of whom, you know, so my daughter's 24, my son is 26. I would say my daughter's a little bit more into this mindfulness space. And my son is a little bit more into the physical active space. Um, but what, what did occur is that fairly quickly, six weeks or so into the pandemic, they both started experiencing pretty profound anxiety. Um, and, um, and it was a little, it was a little surprising because I, I, I think they're fairly well-balanced individuals. Um, not that they don't have their issues, but fairly well-balanced, but the, the degree to which they were sort of getting tripped into anxiety, um, almost, almost panic attacks, you know, not full blown, but almost panic attacks was, and, and we, we started to have conversations about it and it really became clear that it was a result of hearing sirens all the time and having the whole of Brooklyn and New York be on lockdown and this very, very, very sort of heightened, if I can just go back to the sort of stress response, right? This very heightened stress response um, where their sympathetic nervous system was on high alert almost constantly. And so, so what I was talking to them about, and I think it does make some sense, is for those six weeks or eight weeks or however long it was, that response got very grooved you sort of think about like a, a groove in a road or it, it got, it, there was a rut almost where anytime something happened, their bodies went into it sort of, they fell back into that. They fell back into that stress response groove, even if the situation didn't necessarily call for it. Do, do you know what I mean? Because it, it became a default. It did. And so what we started to do a bit of, um, is we started to practice some mindfulness and I said to them, you know, be it, progressive muscle relaxation, be it visualizations, be it breath work. You, they, I, I was arguing, not arguing, but I was saying to them, you need to groove the mindfulness path now so that mm-hmm. you can fall into that just as easily as you can fall into, right? So we needed to, we needed to sort of, again, that idea of balance. We needed to groove that. And the way to groove that is to practice it, right? To, mm-hmm. to continue to practice so that your, your mind and body know that path. That makes, right. makes sense. A- absolutely. And, and we talk a lot about this work being a practice. And absolutely. I, think, I love your visual of a groove and feeling like, you know, this is the path forward and this is what I'm comfortable with. Because if our groove is one way and that's what's more accessible to us, we're obviously going to default into that groove, exactly. even if that's not the best groove for our minds or bodies. Exactly. And so you know, we're all human beings. We do what we do, what's comfortable. We do what we know, even if it's not necessarily the healthiest or the best for us. Right. So I do think, and I think that's probably the hardest part about mindfulness is the practice. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, mm-hmm. for me, the, it's, it's hard. It's hard to, it's hard to set aside some time. 
mean, right. I, I don't want to put myself out there as some, you know, mindfulness person who practices an hour a day. I, I don't, you know, I'm very, very, I consider myself quite the success if I practice it for 10 or 15 minutes a day. You know? That's why I love your visual of these micro, mm-hmm. and I've always called them micro moments, but I like the idea of micro recovery mm-hmm. in this work because it's less intimidating. I don't have to carve out mm-hmm. one hour of a meditation. I don't have to carve out one hour of mindfulness practice, but rather how do we create micro recovery moments through our days so that we can actually do them and we can actually exactly. be consistent. Exactly. Um, you talk about the micro recovery as a way to support stress. Mm-hmm. What are ways that stress impacts our overall health and what are warning signs or cues that we can look out for to indicate we are experiencing unhealthy stress. You talk about your children mm-hmm. experiencing stress in the pandemic. Yeah. How did you know this is, I need to intervene. This is an unhealthy level of stress. Okay. So, so, so to answer the, the last question first, the good news for me is that they were talking to me about it. Right. And so at first I wasn't quite sure what was going on because it, it felt a little bit of out of, out of character for both of them to be having so much. And so you know, I, I'll admit that initially I was kind of like, oh, you just need to relax. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> not that helpful. Um, but the more we sort of talked about it and I and I will also say, so I don't live in Brooklyn and I live up north of Manhattan. And while I certainly understood what was going on with the pandemic, I wasn't experiencing it the way they were experiencing it. And so it did take me a little while to really understand what was happening for them because I was not in it in the same way. Um so when you ask the question about signals, um, one of the things that I like to think about is that. I'm sorry, Dina, we actually lost you in the same way. After you said in the same way, some one of our Internet. So can you actually go back to and our sound person will after you said in the same way, can you. Sure, um, if I can only remember what I was talking or about. Or just start your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what I did want to talk about, though, because you asked the question you know, how do we, how do we know when we're stressed? Right. And how do we know? I, I do think that one of the ways that I like to think about it is there are physical, there are cognitive, there are behavioral and there are emotional. And to me, those categories make sense. So whether we become aware of something that is a physical signal that we are stressed, right. And when I do this with When I do this with faculty or with students, I ask them, I start to say, how do you know when you're stressed, right? And we start writing it on a blackboard or a whiteboard. And then the columns sort of, they they start appearing naturally. Some people, I will sort of make the, the joke that when I was, when I had, when my children were younger, my children knew when I was stressed. Well, how did my children know when I was stressed? I became a really cranky, snappy mom. Do you know what I mean? So, so that was sort of that behavioral, right? I, I was not... I became much shorter tempered. I became, and I think that we can recognize that in ourselves. Um, I'll keep using myself as an example. I am one of those people who I really like. I like control. I like the illusion of control, right? (laughs) There's no control, but I like the illusion of control. And so one of the ways that I know when I'm stressed is if I walk around my house, straightening all the towels in the bathroom, right? (laughs) Like as if somehow that's going to you know, calm everything down. <laughs> As if that's going to solve COVID. Exactly. I, and, and again, I, I, I'm sorry I keep bringing my children into this, but there was there's one funny anecdote with my daughter who is much more like my husband in that she's very creative and she's very, and she's sort of not quite as... Um, as control oriented as I am. And she was little, she was the first day of school and she must've been about five years old. And she had one piece of hair that just kept falling in her eyes. And I kept pushing it over and it kept falling and it kept pushing it back. And she's like, mommy, will you, will you stop? And I said, sweetie, I'm so sorry. I said, I'm just, I'm anxious about your first day of school. And I said, I'm just trying to fix your hair. And I said, are you anxious about your first day of school? And she said, I am, but I know fixing my hair isn't going to help. Oh my gosh. Could we all take a page from your five Exactly. Exactly. So I have the pleasure of having children like that as well, who sort of call me on my mm-hmm. craziness, which I think we all do if we listen, you know. Um, so as you know, Move This World focuses on social emotional wellness yeah. and mindfulness is a component 
of that in terms of self-awareness and self-management. In your mind, how does mindfulness support social-emotional learning? So it's an excellent question. And I think, I think it's so inextricably tied to not only understanding yourself, which, which is critical. I don't think there's any social emotional learning without an understanding of the self. I do also think, and I'm sorry, I keep going back to the research and, and the writing that I'm doing right now, but I do also think that what I'm finding is that mindfulness actually in and of itself, as, as we tune into ourselves, it actually allows us to open up and, and create a space for empathy so that we can really, um, we can allow ourselves to extend grace and kindness to another person. Um, I, I have felt that in myself. One of my psychologists, actually, I borrow the word grace from her because she talks about that a lot. She works a lot in um, the... She works a lot in the racial space. And right now that's a very, obviously very fraught space. And she talks about how mindfulness can really help extend grace to the other person um, in a moment where there's so much conflict. So I think, um, I think that's how I would like to answer that question. I do, when I, so again, I'm writing this up and the, um, I've decided, I believe, that um, the title to the, the work that I'm writing up right now, it is the role of mindfulness in working with college students' um, anxiety, but, but it's a quote from a student that I interviewed, um, and the student said, when I'm in a group, I'm more aware of myself. And this idea of when they're practicing mindfulness within a group, there's a heightened sense of themselves as individuals, but also a heightened sense of of themselves as, as critical and integral to the functioning of the group. And that to me is also a, an element. You're the, you do social and emotional learning much more than I do in a, in a very focused way. But to me, that's, that's, that's it. It's sort of part and parcel of really understanding, un, understanding yourself, but also understanding that the group doesn't function without you and you don't function without the group. Do you, you know, we're not, we're not alone in this. That's gorgeous. I feel like everything you say, I could just like put on my wall as a quote, as a constant reminder to just be a better uh, version of myself. So thank you. One last um, important question, given your work in higher education, mm -hmm. we see so many questions in high school around the role of social emotional learning and how does social emotional learning support what's next, whether that's college mm -hmm. or something else. How do you see mindfulness and uh, social emotional learning and, and these skills supporting the transition for students from high school to college or being successful in college yeah. and maybe even beyond? So, you know what, Sarah, in a lot of ways, that's sort of my life's work right now <laughs> is, is I actually see social and emotional learning and, and that space of... Um, of emotional wellness and, and, and overall wellness, mind, body wellness as so critical to, I don't even want to say academic success. I mean, I, th I just think it's so part and parcel with, with individuals well-being. And I think that certainly we here at, at the health and wellness center, we think we're relevant. We, we, we actually push into the classrooms. We offer we offer stress management courses that where we push into the classroom. We we have been somewhat fortunate here at Sarah Lawrence. It's a little bit of an anachronism, but we still Sarah Lawrence still requires phys physical education credits, and so we have actually partnered with our physical education department where we offer the science of happiness, which is positive psychology and mindfulness. We offer mindfulness. We offer yoga. Like there, we have a whole. We have a whole um, menu, right, that students not only can choose from, but need to choose from, right, in terms of, I think more work needs to be done. I think that as we push more into the classrooms, as and that's, that's really where I've 
come to really believe that we also need to work with the educators because the educators need to partner with us and they're not going to partner with us if we feel if they feel like we are some kind of uh, an add-on or um, a, something that's sort of hippy dippy and and out and not relevant. So I think the more that we can work with the educators and the more that we they can see that it's relevant for their lives, the more that they will understand that it's also relevant for their students' lives. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then in terms of the specific skills that you would say high school students need to cultivate in order to be successful in college and beyond, what would be those skills in your mind? So it's interesting. I'm going to loop back to what, what I started with, which is dialectical behavioral therapy and um, the four sort of component skills, um, mindfulness, sort of self-awareness and mindfulness, right? I, I will say self-awareness because I think that that's, that's really what underlies the mindfulness. Um, interpersonal effectiveness, okay? Really knowing having some skills around feeling like you know how to communicate, you know how to get your needs across and you know how to listen to someone else. And that, um, you know, one of my favorite sort of sayings is listening is not just waiting for your turn to talk, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Listening, actively listening is not just waiting until you get to talk. Um, Distress tolerance is another very important component that, we, we actually, I actually think needs a little bit more focus is this, and maybe it has to do with the fact that we're in a world now where there's a lot of immediate gratification, but distress tolerance, um, and you have little ones, you know how hard it is for, 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 for people to tolerate distress. But I do think that we need to help individuals know that a moment of distress does not need to be eliminated immediately that you can tolerate you can you can breathe through it it will go away you can ride the wave you can use whatever metaphor you want but that you can tolerate some level of distress does that i I don't know if that makes sense to you and i'm not talking about high you know capital t traumas but but some level of distress sure part of life so Mm -hmm. those Mm -hmm. those i think are some of the the critical so self-awareness the ability to communicate and and really get your needs met and then the ability to tolerate some distress in yourself. Great. Thank you. Last question, Dina, how did you stay socially and emotionally well? So I guess we have to start with the premise that I am socially and emotionally well. <laughs> No, I guess that's, you're right. That's not fair. That's not fair. So I, I, I think that it's a challenge. I think it's an ongoing, right? It's this ongoing sure. process. And I think that some days I'm better than others. And some days I, I have the time and the space and other days less so, because I certainly have my moments. Um, and the pandemic has challenged that. And um, Again, Sarah, I'm going to loop back to all the way to the beginning. So I have had my own psychotherapy, right? I've, 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 I did that before I even went into the field myself. So I think that self-awareness is really important. I feel like, so I'm in, we're, we're all hopefully in a, in a mode of always growing and learning and knowing more about ourselves. But I do think that at this point in my life, I, I, I think I know myself to a certain degree and I think I know what, what I need for me. Um, I've often thought about, you know, many of my friends have met lots and lots and lots and lots of friends and social acquaintances. And I like people, I like to engage with people, but I have a few close friends that, that I see. And, um, and I spend, I spent a fair bit of time sort of, I'm not going to say necessarily alone, but in myself, I need my downtime in myself. And, um, it's taken me a long time to realize that I need to give that to myself, even if it means not having 25 friends who I go out with all the time. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, it's taken me a long time to realize that I need to do what is good for me and then mm-hmm. to go ahead and do that and to give my, I know this sounds kind of cliche, but to give myself permission to do that and sure. to say that's okay. Yep. Okay to give myself yep. what I need. Which is to your point at the top of this conversation, yep. so hard for people who are caring for others, educators, 
medical professionals, parents. I will tell you, if you can hold on for one second, I'm going to show you a mug. Just hold on one second. Okay. Okay. Thank you for holding on. So this is one of my favorite quotes, and it's actually part of how I end my workshops. And it is a quote by Audre Lorde. And I don't know if you can read it. So Audre Lorde is a poet. And the quote says, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. And I love that. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so that's part of my mug. Um, I just, uh, you know, and the political warfare piece aside, I, I do think that caring for ourselves is not self-indulgence. It's self-preservation. And, and mm -hmm. we need to give ourselves permission to do that. That's right. Especially now. A, especially <laughs> now. Especially right now. What a gorgeous conversation. I'm going to so much of what you shared. Thank you. You are so welcome. This was so much fun. Thank you, Sarah. So much fun. And we'll include in our show notes links to the course and all sure. of the company information. So if folks want to learn more, That's they great. will have access to your resources. Sure. Let's go ahead and close in the spirit of mindfulness and in the spirit of taking care of ourselves before we move on to whatever activity we're going to do next. Let's close with three breaths to kind of seal this discussion. Let's take this first breath for the power of mindfulness in managing our stress, taking care of ourselves and taking care of one another. Breath in and breath out. Let's take this second breath for the community of practice, whether we are physically with others or connected through screens or through audio waves, the community of practice that we are cultivating together. Breath in and breath out. And let's take this third and final breath for ourselves May our days be meaningful and productive and our nights peaceful. Breath in and breath out. Thank you so much, Dina, for joining us. This has been such a pleasure. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Take good care. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning into the SarahCast today. I loved spending this time with you. Before you go, join me for one final breath and hold in your mind a word or phrase that you are taking away from this conversation. Breathe in. And breathe out. If you liked this episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find all of our episodes on MoveThisWorld.com. The SarahCast, Conversations in Social-Emotional Learning, is produced by the Move This World Audio Network. Move This World supports social-emotional learning for students, their families, and their school communities through evidence-based curricula rooted in creative expression and movement. You can find additional resources to support SEL in your district, school, classroom, or home on our website, movethisworld.com. I'll see you next time.